Good morning. My name is Anna Guerrero. Thanks, Allie, for reading that scripture. I'm the director of Family Ministries here, and excited to have you here. Uh, the sermon title this morning is Made More Than Well. This is not only a nod uh, to my millennial and Gen Z friends who uh, know of what I refer, but also uh, just um, a, a wish and a desire that I heard through the scripture the entire week as I was preparing so this past January, I sat with uh, some colleagues at a, ta- a dinner table. Uh, we were getting ready to prepare this uh, paper around pastoral care. And with tears in my eyes and confession in my heart, I realized that uh, I was not only there to prepare something for outside, but something that needed to happen on the inside. So I went to that conference in Boston to develop pastoral care for families and youth that are really struggling and feeling on the margins. But while I was there, through one comment by one of the facilitators, isn't that how it happens? It became clear that the spirit wanted to deal with some bitterness that I'd been harboring. To be honest, uh, like any time when we're really hurt, I just wanted it to stay hidden. I did not want to be the one to have to forgive the people that had caused so much pain. For so long, I'd felt marginalized as a woman leader. And I'd had to fight so hard to be heard. And that pain was deep. And letting down those walls I built up meant I could be exposed to that kind of pain and fight again. But God was clearly calling me to be the one to let go. And I just didn't see how I could. This is a more common story than we want to admit, I feel like. We get hurt by things that happen to us or that we have no control over. It leads us down this road where isolation and defensiveness become companions and we build up walls to protect the pain of the rejection or the lost dreams. Then we go to work towards a solution out there, something seemingly innocent, seemingly on mission, when often the first place we need to start is hidden in our own hearts. So we come to this story today from many different places, reading about these lepers, these outsiders in their culture, some of us feeling as lepers and outsiders on the margins. But for many of us, it's really hard to believe when we read these kind of stories that miracles can happen. And we don't even want to ask sometimes because we don't want to be disappointed. For many of us, there are things that we've been praying for for years and things that are not resolved or went differently than we expected. And there's hurt there. For many of us, we're doing all the right things and then something goes terribly wrong and we have so many questions. We want to believe God is for us and like this passage, will heal us, but it is hard to see or experience from our current vantage point. We have some blindness that we're experiencing. Many here today feel on the margins, socially, politically, in their struggle for health and their struggle against loneliness. And this morning's message is to be an encouragement that each of us can be the one that is made more than well. 
This passage is about more than wellness. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm so mindful of the diversity in this room, the diversity of life experience, the diversity in our hearts, the diversity of the stories that have brought us to this room where you are calling us to examine, examine what you're calling us to more of. Spirit, will you rattle our hearts open, take off the blinders, allow us to see the marginalization that has come around us and closed us off to what you want to do, which is make us more than well. In Jesus' name. Amen. So our first point this morning is we're made for mercy. Verse 11 says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, we don't experience leprosy the way that, this, that the Bible talks about leprosy, but I want to talk about it a little bit so you have a little bit more clarity. Now, in Leviticus, if you want to go read some really interesting passage about the unclean and cleanness of leprosy and what all of this, the policies that were put around these people that had leprosy, go read Leviticus 13. But I'll give you a quick little glimpse into it. Because it's a tedious explanation of what is clean and unclean. And what is clean can be part of society, and what is unclean has to go away from society. But basically, leprosy is a skin disease. And if you are unclean, that means that the skin disease has gone underneath. It is underneath the upper layers, and you have a rash It also means that it's spreading to other parts of your body. It's not just staying in one place. It means it changes the skin color, even the hair color at points. They look outside the norm. And these lepers, they were. They were outside the norm. We find ourselves in this story on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And the truth is that that is where these lepers live. They are on the margins, literally and figuratively on the margins of society because they're sent away to live in a colony away from people that are not sick. And in community, literally away and in community. We know from later in the text that some were Samaritan, but we don't know the status of all of them. We don't know if the community was a mix of people from Galilee and Samaria. We just know that they were sent away and that it was in between those two places that we find this story. Now, when you're a leper, you have to wear different kinds of clothes. You wear torn clothes, so it's very visual, and you have to cover your face. So from a very far distance, you could tell if someone had leprosy. And if you couldn't just see it, you could hear it. Because if anyone was to approach someone with leprosy, they were to raise their hands out in front of them and yell, unclean, unclean. They had to declare themselves in the margins every time they saw someone that didn't, wasn't dressed and didn't look like them. I, I can't imagine living a life like that, 
where everywhere I walked around, it, I looked and had to declare to stay away from myself. And it's made me really think about it this week. They also weren't allowed in Jewish temples. They weren't allowed in lots of places. But what these men yelled was not for healing. If I was those men, I might yell, heal me, heal me of this disease so I can enter back into community. But what did they yell? They yelled for more. They asked for mercy. Now, two things in particular stuck out to me from these calling, from this calling of these outsiders, these people on the margins. They had to yell in a loud voice. Now, this is technically, there's reason for this, right? They had to stay a certain amount of feet away. But they wanted Jesus to hear, so they yelled his name, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, this, conf- this is actually a confession. They knew of Jesus. They saw him from a distance, and they called out his name, Master. Now, Master was the same word that the disciples used when they talked to Jesus. In some ways, their profession and calling out for mercy was a, a profession of belief, a profession that they, they understood Jesus as the Messiah, as their master, and their need for what only a Messiah could give is mercy and compassion, bigger than healing. This word mercy is elieo. Say that with me. It's a really fun word. Elieo. Oh, yeah. You can do better. Elieo. That's right. Now you know the Greek word for mercy, but it's bigger than mercy. It's like compassion, like see me, have mercy and compassion on me. Step into that. This is the same word that they use, that Luke used in the story about the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And in the same language, I feel like Luke is calling us to see this Samaritan as the protagonist of the story. What is this protagonist calling out in us, this outsider language that is cueing this call for mercy, this recognition of Jesus as master and Messiah? Have mercy on us. They declared it as a group. They traveled as a group. They understood that they could experience it as a group, that God wouldn't just, Jesus wouldn't just see one person, but would see the whole, have mercy on us. And it's had, it's caused me to have so many questions, just driven around in my car. Where in our culture do you have to declare your status every time you encounter a person and wear clothes that personify you as a category? And how would we react if we saw such a thing? We as Christians, how would we react? You know, here in Seattle, we have a really great example of this. I know there's much political and social turmoil about the very issue of homelessness in our city and its impact. But it has caused me to look carefully at the people on the literal margins of our city 
those that are homeless, that are dressed differently, that are calling out for mercy. And they may, in some ways, be calling out for situational healing. But their desire is for mercy. What faith it would take to ask for mercy over healing when you're an outsider. I think I would ask for my felt need more than mercy. That's my own blindness, if I'm honest. Some here feel like outsiders. And picking up from Scott last week, that's what we're talking, is about this life on the margins. Because Christ comes near to those that feel on the margins. Some of you know what it feels like to daily, maybe hourly, call out for mercy in the situation you're in. You might be living with a long-time physical or mental illness, and it's a daily struggle. You might be in recovery from addiction, financial trouble that's unresolved and complicated, doubting your faith and that you grew up in, or that God is even for you. We see this with people of color in our mostly white churches and, mar- and mostly white neighborhoods, able to call for mercy. Immigrants, people who are struggling with their identity and the many ways that l- this leaves more questions than answers in this process. Let's be honest, many of us can easily find ourselves feeling on the margins at some point, at some point in our lives as adults feeling like we're not allowed to fully participate, fully be honest, fully be authentic because of this one part or another that doesn't fit. And like the lepers, it has us holding back or staying at a shouting distance. But for many of us in the room, we live in a different place. More steadiness and rest than restlessness. In some ways, we live with a blindness to the marginalization of our own hearts. We don't find ourselves in need until something happens to wake us up. You know, we're pretty high on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, meaning we have food and shelter and clean water and relative safety in our daily lives. We have comfortable coming to church and experience love and belonging when we're here. We can say, how are you? Oh, I am well. These are casual conversations, which leads to us feeling like we mostly fit. We're affluent and productive and able to solve the problems we see in front of us. We believe in Jesus with mild doubt and are living it out in the best way we know how. Our marriages and our friendships and our health and our financial situation, our personal ethic all seem to match the group we hang around. I will confess This is my story too. Which brings me back to the story of how it applies to all of us in the room. We all need to recognize and acknowledge our lives' needs for God's mercy. And if you are already awake to the need of God's mercy, then you have much to teach us. Much to teach the rest of us who are not so privileged to be that awake. You know, I'm acutely awake to the need for God's mercy in our youth and children. I've spent nine years almost committed to the children and families here and watched as our youth have grown up and done the normal things of struggling for identity. And when real questions come up, this is normal. 
but it's acute right now. I'm awake to the influence we have to change the trajectory of a child in a youth's life by living out our faith authentically in community, by being aware of our need for God's mercy, that we're made for mercy. And the impacts that we have in these years has multiplication efforts for the generations, for this generation and the ones to come. I'm aware this is especially true with youth and children and even adults that have adverse childhood experience in their story or struggle with depression and anxiety or the growing self-harm and suicide attempt rates that are current in our youth today. A month ago, there was this New York Times article, please go look it up, and it was 700 Generation Z kids that were interviewed, and they told about their identity, and the reality of who they are is humbling. It's beautiful. They're looking for identity. God is and always has been about elieo, about mercy, about mercy that is enough to change and big enough, bigger than our situation in front of us. But we see it through these stories in the Bible, through Bartimaeus, who's blind in Matthew 10, calling out for mercy. All these people call for mercy. Last week, the Canaanite woman that called out for mercy for her daughter in Matthew 15. The man asking for mercy for his sick son, Matthew 17. The blind beggar in Luke 18. Two blind men sitting by the road, Matthew 20 calling out for mercy. People who are in need or have people that they love who are in need ask for mercy. And this is key. We all need to be aware and awake enough to ask for God's mercy in our life. What keeps you up at night? What is your need for God's mercy in your life? Not just God's fixing of a situation that's in front of you, but dealing with your need for God's elieo, compassion, mercy, bigger than wellness, mercy for who you are and who God's calling you to be. I need more of that in my life. This declaration of imperfection, this declaration of need for God, And the youth in our culture, they need more of that too. They need to see us as adults crying out for mercy. See live examples of it, of it, of us not trying to be perfect, but crying out for more. They need to see it in our homes and in our Sunday church. They need to see it breaking through and making real change in this individualized culture where we just ask for what's in front of us. This passage is asking us to wake up and ask Jesus for something bigger than what is in front of us. And when we're awake and we're aware of our need for mercy, it propels us to action. That's point number two in your bulletin. We're made for action. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went... They were cleansed. I'm going to be honest. I both love and hate this verse. (laughs) Because Jesus asked them to do something really, really uncomfortable. 
He asked them to expose their sel- themselves, their state, with nothing changed to someone who had the power to condemn them back to the colony they lived in. Nothing had changed. Nothing at all. But they dared to believe that everything had changed. What wild faith these lepers had. To start down the road in faith. Believing that Jesus would heal them without a touch. Without a connection. To walk towards that place of rejection. It's counterintuitive. Terrifying. Not something I want to engage in. Kind of like the story at the beginning. But what I thought was so amazing about this is Jesus heard them call out, but what does he say? What does the verse say? He saw them. He saw them. Not heard them yell. He saw them. He knew they were still outcasts. He knew they were still sick. But he called them to turn in faith and go back to the priest, believing that they would be healed. And friends, this is the terrifying part. The hard part that gets some of us stuck in inaction is that things happen on the way. As we're walking towards the priest, on the journey, counterintuitive, towards what God is calling us to do. Go, show yourself to the priest, Jesus said. On the way, they were cleansed. Not there, not immediate, on the way. Every night at 6.30 p.m., wherever she is, my mom's alarm goes off and on her phone, and we all know what it means. It means it's time to take those chemo pills and supplements. My mom is one of the strongest, healthiest, wisest, Christ-following women I know. And almost three years ago, through a very God-ordained moment, we found out that she had stage four lung cancer. And it was devastating to me and my family. Immediately, blinders are off. And all of our views about what we thought life was going to be like changed. She went to treatment, targeted chemo pill, genetically matched her cancer. Amazing, by the way. Results were looking good. It was shrinking quickly. Everything was going as planned. And then pretty suddenly it stopped working before it was time. Shorter than we thought. But she didn't stop. She kept going. She pursued bigger health. Now not only chemo, a more holistic approach. Which meant she had to also start addressing some other things her soul, the source of her stress, healthy relationships, a holistic approach. Her diet changed. Everything changed on the way. She went walking down the road towards wellness, towards healing, not not healed, but believing in the process that her obedience to change these small daily daily habits would make a difference. And it's hard for everyone to stay focused and hopeful. I know that personally through watching her. Three years later, the tumor that was the size of a grapefruit and broke her rib is minuscule and wispy. It's a miracle, truly. 
It's a miracle. But the biggest change I've witnessed is her grace and mercy for the people in her situation, as well as the people that are less fortunate. Her heart has grown as her cancer has shrunk. She is living with cancer. And we who love her are living with our eyes open, open to that cancer and what it means. And it has me thinking, is her daily obedience and faith to do what is in front of her a display of God's mercy? We have no idea how long the journey of the lepers to the priests were. We don't know how long that road was. And we have no idea at what point they looked down and saw that they were clean. And we don't know if it was one spot at a time or if it was immediate, all over. But what we do know, it says, on the way, on the way in action, they were cleansed. That's amazing and encouraging, really encouraging. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. The only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you're provided this very day. This house you live in, this family you find yourself in, this job you have been given, the weather conditions that prevail at the moment, on the way. If we are awake to our need for Christ's mercy in our lives, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we need to activate our faith, this belief that God is going to meet us on the way. Faith is trust in action and we are made for it. What could action look like? Might be being the one to profess our belief and ask for mercy over situational challenges or being the one that we could go towards resolution even when we're still sick, even when our situation hasn't changed, being the one to keep pursuing Christ in relationships when we feel like outsiders, when we feel marginalized, and being the one to struggle through doubt and disappointment and hold on to hope that God has mercy, compassion in mind for each of us on the way. And we will see that there is even more to this journey on the way. Verse 15 and point number three, made more than well. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now from the very top, there's one thing you need to understand about this passage. And that's this word well. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says it multiple times in the New Testament. But this word well is actually sozo. And it means more than well. Sozo is more like a saved, like a restoration, like salvation. This is not about a physical wellness. It's about a whole health wellness. And even when I use the word saved, I know in the church that means, makes it more confusing. But let me tell you more. 
So there was this one man of the 10 that looked at his healing and was propelled to more action. He returned to Jesus and he fell at his feet, crying out in gratitude. It caused action and worship in his heart. And Jesus answers with these two questions in 17 and 18. We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise but this one, this foreigner? What's that about? I originally read this question, and I read it in a shaming tone. Does anyone else hear that? Like, come on, this is disappointing. But I don't think that that's what it was, actually. After spending some time here, I think it was more than that. I think it was Jesus revealing his desire for everyone to return to him and receive wellness, sozo, fullness, salvation, restoration. He wanted it for everyone, not just the one. Now, this is good news. If you feel unseen this this morning, this is meant to be an encouragement that even when you, it feels like you're at a distance, that you matter to Jesus, that he sees those missing men. He's counted every single one. He knows exactly who was there and is missing them in this gratitude, is missing them in their presence with them. But for this one, he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So, so, more than well. Complete, saved. And this one who returned, he felt he returned in gratitude. And he fell at Jesus' feet, worshiping and thanking him. He's the one who received a double blessing. Not only clean, not only healed, not only in rest in receiving this mercy and compassion, but a restoration of his soul. After my trip to Boston a month later, I, uh, I came back to some health challenges. And long story short, it was scary, really scary. And I got this phone call from my doctor after about a six-week journey. And she said, Anne, I can't believe this, but your pathology, it's clear. And I didn't want to ever tell you this until we got to this point, but every single person that saw that scan said, 99% sure it's lymphoma. 99% sure. But guess what? This feels like a miracle. Five days later, I went to talk about this with my spiritual director, and already my doubt and my discouragement and my skepticism coming in. I had technically been healed of cancer, and I'm already becoming skeptical. That is a revealingness of my own heart, right? (laughs) And my spiritual director, an amazing woman, said, what if it's all true, Anna? What if you were healed? Seems like the medical professionals think that you were healed. What if this was all true? What would that really mean? And something in that moment rattled open my heart 
and gratitude. Gratitude that I couldn't have gotten to before. I was the one seen and healed by Christ, miraculously. And then it did something even bigger. It rattled open that bitterness and that hurt and that anger. And Christ put his palm on it and healed it. It was dislodged from my heart in ways that I can't even imagine. I was made more than well. And Christ's mercy covered over all that hurt. The man who returned got a double blessing, more than well. Sozo. Often we can get discouraged on the way. And it's amazing because when I was thinking about these verses, in this verse in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's my story. But Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sozo. For all of us. Full of mercy and compassion. For all of us. So let's get really practical here. This cheesy saying has been going through my head for the last few weeks. And I dare to share it because I was actually a little embarrassed. But it literally is the one that I know God is calling us to this morning. So be the one. There was one that returned. Just one. But that's what Christ is pointing us to this morning. To be the one. Be the one to cry out for mercy. That's practical. Be the one to be able to cry out for mercy. Some of you can raise your hand and say, I know I need God's mercy. And some of us need to become more aware that we need God's mercy. This is an invitation to open up our eyes that we need God's mercy. Be the one moving in action. Don't get stuck. This is a long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson. In action. Be the one to practice gratitude, both personally and with someone else. You know, as, I've, as I reflected some of my own doubt, my spiritual director and my friends were able to say, that isn't true. And I was able to get to this place of deep gratitude with someone else. And someone else can help me celebrate this on-the-way work, this not-finished-yet work. And finally, be the one to fall at Jesus' feet. It has brought me to my face these last few weeks as I looked around my life and seen the lack of gratitude, the pride that I can control and fix my situation, but mainly here in the dirt at Jesus' feet these past few weeks, I found great gratitude as a litmus test for how I want to live out my faith. I'd like to call the worship team up to, for our response But I believe that God is calling each of us to individually be the one to fall at his feet this morning. Fall at his feet in need of mercy. Fall at his feet in need of our awareness that we need God's mercy. Fall at his feet in gratitude for what God has done in our lives this morning.
Whatever action step God is calling you to this morning, don't wait. Don't hang back. Don't put up the hands. Don't build the walls. Come close. Be the one to come close to Christ this morning and receive God's mercy and compassion over you and receive God's love over you and receive the deep gratitude that God wants you to experience this morning. There are prayer ministers here. If you need to come up to the front to be close, come. If you need to stay in your seats and bow your heads, stay, but come close to Christ this morning. Be the one.